Hello and welcome to the B Movie Podcast, the podcast where we watch B movies. You know those five dollar bins straight to DVD. Who are these actors and why do they make this kind of B movies? Every week we watch a bad film. We summarize it, review it, grade it, and then we answer the absolutely needless question, is this better or worse than the B-movie with Jerry Seinfeld? This week, I have joining me my very good friend back for the first time uh, in podcast history, Luke. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Jeremiah. Good to be back. You're welcome. I'm so glad we could have you. Now, we had you on the Mario Brothers episode, and I am proud to say that that is tied for the most downloads outside of the B-movie episode. So the B-movie with Caitlin has got more more downloads. Uh, however, you have tied with Santa Claus Conquers the Martians uh, for having the most downloaded episode. So I'm so glad to have you back. I'm really looking forward to this episode. But first and foremost, I want to make a few announcements. Uh, what I'd like to say is that we are available on all the following platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Stitcher. So any way you listen to the B-movie podcast, wherever you listen, wherever you are, you'll be able to find us. So please, please, please leave a comment, leave a rating, leave a review so that you can help other people uh, just like you who might be interested in finding us. And speaking of which, I've got some comments and ratings and reviews here. So I'd like to give a couple of shout outs. The first one going to Kyle S. Uh, Kyle's a friend of mine who wrote into the show and said the following. He said he's loving the podcast, that he's four episodes in, and has already shared it with about 10 friends who he knows would love it. He was obligated to give us a suggestion uh, called Chopping Mall. Have you heard of this, Luke? I have not. Chopping Mall. I'm assuming it is a gory B-movie of a shopping mall. No, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's like a uh, super low budget, like Guy's Grocery Games. But yeah. they, they couldn't get Guy Fieri. Yes. So it's just like Fieri. Some... No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm going to go with Fieri for now. And they, and, they, and they just found some other guy with frosted tips, and they were like, we're doing Chopping Mall now. They got the guy from Smash Mouth. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah, if, if the lead singer Shrek. of Smash Mouth uh, hosted a grocery store game show, that's our premise for Chopping Mall. So maybe one day that will find its way on the B-Movie podcast. Although I will say, I am not a fan of horror movies. Did you know that, Luke? Uh, no, I didn't, actually. Every, everyone asks, why do you hate horror movies, Jeremiah? And I always say, why would I pay... To be put into a state of fear and anxiety. Now, some people argue that it's the catharsis, that at the end of the film, you know that you're stronger or better than whatever it is that was plaguing the film the entire time. I personally don't agree with that. Uh, I have watched some horror movies. I just don't like them. I would rather watch something funny or happy, like the movie that we watched for this episode. Oh, boy. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, finishing Kyle's thoughts, he gave us a good suggestion about the summary section. And then at even suggested some segments like worst parts of the film or best parts of the film uh, and explaining why it's, it's a quintessential B-movie. So, Kyle, thanks so much for writing in. We appreciate your feedback uh, for the podcast, and we hope that you continue to enjoy the episodes that we put out. Additionally, I would like to go back and state that it is our goal for this new year to put out an episode a week. I realize that I might not be living up to that expectation just yet. We are getting the ball rolling and trying to edit these and put these out as fast as we can. But it is our commitment to you to put out an episode at least once every two weeks. So this one should be going live on a Thursday. Uh, and that will be once within the two-week frame since our previous episode, Flash Gordon. <clears throat> but the way that you can help us is by leaving comments, reviews, likes, uh, etc., much like the ones that I have found on Apple Podcasts. So I'm going to go ahead and read a few of these. I don't know who all these individuals are. I know a couple of them. Now, we've heard from uh, Brennan Nassif, who said, Good podcast. But there's one OBD33 who says, Goat, five stars. He's my PE teacher. Greatest podcast of all time. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm a substitute teacher. Let's go! And I'm currently on a maternity leave assignment. And that, Wait, that's, you're on maternity leave? That's one of my... Yes, I'm on maternity leave. <laughs> this is one of my students who uh, has listened to the podcast, decided to leave a review. Oh uh, and I was super, super humbled by that. Super grateful for it. I love that. Uh, another individual called Hoosier's Man uh, says B++, five stars. I honestly went into this thinking it would be boring and uninteresting. I wondered to myself, self, how could someone make a podcast about B-movies that is actually good? 
Well, never will I ever doubt this bearded man again. I couldn't stop listening. Bravo, Jeremiah. Bravo. I give it a solid B+++. So, Hoosiers man, thank you for leaving a review. Uh, I have another individual called Brander Mir, who says, Fantastic! Exclamation point, five stars. Witty humor, horrifically watchable movies, and a charming host. Everything necessary. Enough said! Exclamation point. Brander Mir, I'm so glad you're enjoying the podcast. Thanks for leaving a review. And finally, a user called I am Big Mike, who I am fairly certain uh, is my cousin. He says, love it, five stars. Just what I need in the morning when I don't feel like being at work. So, Michael, this is a shout out to you. Uh, uh, Michael just recently discovered that I had a podcast, and it's so funny because he said today throughout work and all that he had been doing today, he listened to the entire backlog of the B-Movie podcast. So, Mike... This episode is dedicated to you. I hope you enjoy this new episode and continue to listen in the future. Please, please, please suggest it to your friends and leave that like, comment, and review. It helps people find our podcast. It helps them understand what we're about and what you like about the podcast. So if you want to help us, that would be great. Additionally, our goal uh, for 2020 at the Movie Podcast is to have 1,000 followers or subscribers across all our social media platforms. So that's Facebook, the Movie Podcast has a page there. That's Twitter, at the Movie Pod. That's also Instagram, at the Movie Podcast. And I am happy to announce that we're going to be having a very special giveaway. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. When we hit... 222 likes or followers, uh-huh. I will be giving away an autographed copy <gasps> of the B-Movie. No. Yes, it oh. costs $4 to buy at Walmart out no. of the big bin. So some might ask, why 222? Well, that's easy. B is the second letter out of the alphabet. And so 222 would be BBB uh, all the way across, just like the slot machines in Vegas, baby. And so at 2.22, we will do a random drawing and send a signed copy of the B-Movie to one lucky winner. So please tell your friends, share with the pod, or share with your friends, tell everyone who will listen to listen to the B-Movie podcast. Am I eligible to win that? You are not eligible to win, Luke. I am so sorry. Uh, all co-hosts are ineligible to win uh, the drawing of the B-Movie podcast. Fair enough. So with that being said, thank you for leaving those shout-outs and reviews. Luke, I'm so glad to have you back. I had a really good time filming the Mario Brothers episode with you. And in fact, I will say, you've kind of given me um, a good idea of how to approach each episode. Because uh, since you have done, you know, you came to the Mario Brothers episode ready with all this information and this research that you had done. And so since then, I've been doing my own research for every single episode and making sure I'm well aware of kind of what the movie's about. Uh, you know, how the movie did, interesting fun facts and trivia. So, Luke, thank you so much for doing that for me. You know, you're uh, welcome. And inspiring us. And I, I'm glad to have you back. I, yeah, I'm glad to be back. I'm. It's just like my mom always said, I'm nothing if not an encyclopedia of garbage. So yeah. I'm glad that I have a podcast for that. My mom always said I have the face for radio. So Aww. podcasting is perfect for me. Well, we both win then. Yeah, exactly. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, well, anyway, so, Luke, what was the film that you subjected me to this week? The film that I blessed you with is none other than Kung Pao Enter the Fist. Kung Pao Enter the Fist. Now, before we launch into the storm, let me just say, this was not what I was expecting. <laughs> I had no idea. I knew I should be expecting something kung fu. But this was an experience that can only be described as ethereal, mm. perhaps otherworldly, mm. uh, because it is just so strange that this film was even made in the first place, and I absolutely have had a great time with it. So, Kung Pao, Enter the Fist. Luke, how do we even begin to summarize this movie? Okay, I cannot do any better than the first sentence of the Wikipedia article. Okay, <laughs> let's start with that. Then. So, so the first sentence is, Kung Pao redirects here. For the food stuff, see Kung Pao Chicken. And <laughs> I think that pretty well sums it up. Okay, so, so Kung Pao Out of the Fist is a 2002 American martial arts comedy film that parodies Hong Kong action cinema. So what some might call a spoof. Yes, it is absolutely a spoof, but they do it a little bit different. Some spoofs you may think of as being maybe tongue-in-cheek or or taking little shots here and there at the source material. So Mm -hmm. what comes to mind for me is Austin Powers. Yeah. They make lots of jokes. They're clearly taking shots at James Bond, but it's it's kind of its own movie. Mm -hmm. This is not that. No. 
This is Steve Odekirk, uh, who I'll talk more about a little bit later, taking the movie Tiger and Crane Fists. It is a 1976 Hong Kong martial arts film and editing himself in as the main character and all of the voices. Mm-hmm. So it's just this weird dumpster fire of confusion. Okay. But I would classify it almost as pet project. Would would you classify it as that? Yeah, no, this is a glorified YouTube video. Yes. This okay. is a YouTube video now, with a big old budget. We're going to get there. We're going to get there because I have some thoughts about that. But how do we summarize the story? So it opens up, uh, as many kung fu movies do, or kind of on a dark night, right? And there's a family that is sitting at the table doing something. Yep. There's a baby in a crib, and then there's a knock at the door. And yes. it is a gang of martial arts bad boys who are clearly there to do something uh and so they end up killing the guy the gal the kids and then they go to kill the baby because they find out the baby's the chosen one yes and it was at this moment that i realized how stupid of a movie this was because why is that jeremiah because the main character well not the main character the the bad guy who they call betty yeah, Betty. Mm. Uh, Bet. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Betty. Betty. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Betty tries to stab an infant, which you've heard the phrase taking candy from a baby. Babies don't fight back. You can just abuse them all you want. Uh, not this baby. Also, please do not misquote me and isolate that soundbite. Oh, it's already tweeted. I'm pretty sure that that, uh, that's probably going to ruin my career. So, it was a good long run, Luke. I appreciate it. You did well, sport. Thank you. Anyways, Betty tries to stab an infant, but the infant fights back. And a tiny baby <laughs> fights this guy, <laughs> runs this guy all over the house, he pees, pees all over. on the guy, and so then Betty is like, screw it, I'll just lock the door and set fire to the house. And so he does. The baby jumps out, clearly a doll that was thrown through the window. Yes. Like, it lands. Like, these effects, they're bad on purpose. Yes. But also <clears throat> not. So like, here, it, it, it... Yeah, I want to make a point here, yeah. okay? So, among the B-movies that we have done on this podcast, that Jeremiah has done with other, with other guests... You'll notice if you if you were to watch them, mm-hmm. perhaps you decide you want to watch them, you would notice a common strand of production value, right. or a, a lot of common mistakes. This one doesn't have those same mistakes. No. No, it, it's kind of on purpose. It's supposed to be bad. However, the reason that I think it still qualifies for this podcast is that it tries so hard to be bad on purpose that I, I truly believe that it goes from bad to good to trying so hard that it's bad again. And I think it just misses, just just barely, just barely. So I think it still counts. Yeah. Tangentially, I don't even know how to summarize this film because it's basically just following the chosen one, which is this baby that gets away. But, like, the baby gets away by tumbling down a hill, which is very <laughs> clearly they just threw a doll down a hill. For, like, three minutes. And repeated the frames, <laughs> like, six times. Then the fun, the part that got me, that really set the tone for the rest of the movie was the baby ends up lying on a road. So, like, the hill ends up on a road, and then there's more continuation of the hill, and a woman finds the baby and goes, Oh, so cute. And then chucks him back on the hill. (laughs) And I just could not handle that. It was so ridiculous. But it's basically the chosen one is trying to have revenge against this individual, this bad guy named Betty. Betty. Uh, who is a man, who is a martial artist with these iron claw, nunchuck kind of things that he uses. And awful hair. Uh, and awful hair. And so the rest of it is just the Chosen One trying to get revenge on Betty for killing his family and making him an orphan. Uh, the Chosen One is the Chosen One. Why, Luke? What makes him the Chosen One? What extra characteristic does he have that no one else on the face of this earth has. I really badly want to do a big, long, weird lead into this, but I just can't come up with a good one. He has a face on his tongue, and its name is Tonguey. Tonguey. And that's all there is to it. That's all there is. Now, here's what gets me. Here's what makes me just go, what are you guys doing? Tonguey does not really come up in the last third of the movie. When fighting is happening... When all the stuff is being resolved, Tungy is nowhere to be seen. Like, you would think that with a guy who has a, um, a, um, uh, an intelligent tongue, like a conscious, intelligent tongue, 
you would think that that would have more airtime or that he would like fight with it. Uh, but in the last third of the movie, it doesn't come up pulls, until it does <laughs> in the largest way possible. Yeah. So we're gonna get there. We yeah. have to finish. So Let's he goes off. He tries to find a master who will teach him how to fight Betty. He finds this really old guy who's sickly. He ends up working in this dojo kind of area. He finds Betty, realizes that Betty is a part of something called the Evil Council, right? <sighs> yeah, and that's exactly also what it sounds like. <laughs> Period. <laughs> uh, so, Luke, what happens? He finds Betty, and what I mean, what does he do? Yeah, so he finds Betty, and he, as Jeremiah said, he finds out quickly that he's got no shot at beating this guy. No. At least not right now. The, the scene opens up with Betty... Um, taking like training shots from a bunch of different guys who have like bow staffs and like seven guys break all these bow staffs over him and it just he's absolutely unfazed so it's mm -hmm. very clear that this guy is crazy overpowered so he meets his his master master tang and master tang introduces him to two more characters that are one is tangentially related to the show one is a love interest i guess one is what wuss something uh wimp low wimp low wimp low so wimp low is one of the fighters that they've trained at this dojo that Master Tang has trained. And he says, yeah, we uh, we trained him backwards as a joke. So all the fight scenes that he's in, he is intentionally just getting the tar beat out of right. him. Right. He's terrible. And <laughs> he, uh, at the end of one of the fight scenes... He dies. Yeah. He, <laughs> he, just, he, just he dies. definitely dies. But uh. at, at the end of one of the fight scenes, he squares up with the chosen one and uh, obviously does not go well. And then as the, no. as the fight is ending, he says, I'm bleeding. Making me the victor. <laughs> I just... <laughs> and I think that pretty well summarizes it up. So then the other one is what? <clears throat> Lee? Is Lee the name of the gal? Who's kind of a love interest in a way? Yeah, let me... But Ling. 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 Ling kind of just supports him as the chosen one. And the funniest part here is that in kung fu movies, you think Chinese, Asian, individuals of the Orient who have uh, given themselves to martial arts, right? That is not the case because Steve Odekirk is what? Luke. He's incredibly white. He's incredibly white. We're talking Weird Al Yankovic levels yes. of white. Oh, we'll get to that. I'll, when we yeah. get a chance to talk about Steve Odekirk, you're going to mm -hmm. lose your mind, Jeremiah. So, he he <laughs> is just, I don't know, it's funny, but um, Wimp Low and Ling um, are there trying to help him train and with Master, what, Fang? Master Lang? Now all I can see is the... Is Betty. Give me, give me just, yeah, Betty. Betty. <laughs> Master well, no, Payne. He's, master, well, Master Payne is Betty. But yes. then who's the one that um, that the Chosen One trains with? Oh, the sickly uh, Master Tang. Master Tang, yes. right. Okay. So he trains with Master Tang. He squares up against Betty uh, once and doesn't do so hot, right? Right. Uh, Iron Claws apparently hurt a lot. Yes. And then I would say the Chosen One goes on what can only be described as a vision quest. Yes. And why, Luke... Would I say that he goes on a vision quest? That's because he has a very distinct vision of a very distinct beloved character. Yes, and what individual does he see on this vision quest? Obviously, you all know already who we're talking about, but I'll say his name anyway for posterity. Yes. Uh, he is met in the sky by a lion that first says, Simba. <laughs> and so Steve Odekirk's like... Uh, no, I'm not Simba. And he I'm goes, the chosen one. He goes, all right, sure. So you're Chosimba one. And that's what yes. he calls him. And this lion in the sky's name is Mushu Fasa. Mushu Fasa. <laughs> I will speak in riddles and give you clues as to what might happen later about the sky. Yeah, and so he mentions that his hint is, what is it, look to the stars? Is that right? I, yes. Yeah, look to the, he says, look to the stars. Look to the stars. And then Steve Odekirk says, I don't know what that means. And Mushu Fasa says, yeah, it's a riddle. And then he just like, kind of fades out. And as he's fading out, he says, this is CNN. C-N-N. And that's the end of the scene. Yeah, that's the end of the scene. So there's a vision quest with Mushu Fasa. Realizes he's got to train some more. And basically realizes that the weakness to... Betty. Betty is these two pyramid-shaped metal points on his chest. I'm not really sure what yeah. they are. They're not nipples. No, they're they're kind of positioned where you'd put like an AED, like if you're trying to resuscitate uh, someone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they're kind like, of like the paddles. Yeah, the paddles. High on the pectoral, almost collarbone. Um, but he finds this out, so he begins to train a little better. 
a little more. But then Betty does something uh, really terrible. He attacks Ling, Master like Tank, and then Wimplo. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Wimplo dies immediately. Wimplo does not make it, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. I'm so sorry. But then the Chosen One finds Ling and Tang, uh, Miss, uh, Master Tang, and you know is trying to uh trying to revive them and uh and train harder so that betty does not do this again so then he trains he trains he trains finds the technique to rip these powerful pyramids off of betty's pectorals and then fights him yeah the party starts so basically he decides he's gonna go fight betty they start fighting he's actually winning he's beating betty and then the uh, evil council arrives. Yes, and this is the greatest part because this is a true story. <laughs> a pyramid, a, a silver pyramid with weird symbols upon it, comes down from the sky and immediately places forth a, uh, a satellite dish. And I looked at Luke and I said, Luke, if this is aliens, so help me. And literally the next <laughs> line was, it's aliens. <laughs> and then you hear them speaking French, and he goes, wait, they're French. French aliens. <laughs> so that's the evil council. The evil council is French aliens. Yeah, and so then in, in his head, Steve Odekirk, uh, chosen one, uh, starts having flashbacks of Mushu Fasa and another character that we didn't even touch on. Her name is Wo. Oh, she Wo. doesn't really play any real part in this movie oh uh, but she's memorable yeah so here's the big plot point with her uh she appears in the night and has a uniboob a single boob yeah and so her name is now whoa now here's the thing and i i don't know this because i you know i am a i'm a, I'm a bigger guy but i i don't have breasts yes um and i don't wear brassieres Sure. Now, I have heard, ladies, for those of you listening to the podcast, I have heard that sometimes, under the right or wrong conditions, that a sports bra can kind of just turn into a uniboob. This is not what we're talking about. No, this is a distinct single... This is a distinct solo breast in the middle of her chest area that is highly accented and made to draw the eye. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a intentionally ironic sex appeal that is just non-existent because it's, mm -hmm. it's just so bizarre. Yeah. Uh, and the whole, like, every scene she's in, she just keeps hinting at a sequel to the movie. Right. Um, which obviously never happened. But anyway, so he he's fighting Betty, he's winning, the aliens show up, and then he starts having flashbacks to Woe and flashbacks to Mushu Fasa and some other characters. And Mushu Fasa says, you need to open your mouth. Oh, yes. And so he opens his mouth, and this is the only part of the show that Tungy matters for. Tungy launches from his head like a fire hose, skyrockets, wraps around the corner of this pyramid, the aliens, and mm. <laughs> spins it, launches it, they all leave. Sends it back into space. That's it. That's it. So that's then, basically roll credits. Yeah. Then, he, yeah, he rips out the, sure. uh, he rips the metal pieces out of Betty. Um, Betty bleeds and yells a lot. And then dies. And then there's this weird post-credit scene that hints again at a sequel. And by hints, mm -hmm. I mean says there will be a sequel. And uh, shows all these ridiculous scenes. And it's it's very... Uh, I'm going to sound like an idiot one way or another. Meta? No, no, no. It's either Mel Gibson or Mel Brooks. It's one of the... <laughs> I can't believe I'm confusing well, the Well, Mel two. Gibson was Passion of the Christ and Braveheart. Okay, Mel Brooks. Mel, Mel Brooks, Brooks. Mel Brooks. <laughs> Mel Brooks is the Jewish producer... Who did films such as Life of Brian, yes. History of the World Part 1, yes. The Producers. So it's it's Mel Brooks. So he does this thing in his post credit scenes where he'll hint at uh, some ridiculous sequel that he never intended to make. Oh, like uh, History of the World Part 1? Yes. There is no History of the World Part 2. Yeah, so, so, yeah. <laughs> so dumb stuff like that. Uh -huh. So he uh, he does this whole big crazy post credit scene and then it's over. And then the during the credits we're treated to shots of the original movie and you can see the uh, the original main character from the first movie and then it'll show you the scene that was actually edited out. Right. So it's Jimmy Wang Yu. 
is the name of the uh, original actor in uh-huh. in the first movie. Which uh, what was the film that they that they they were spoofing? They used the actual footage from this film. Yeah, the movie is called Tiger and Crane Fists. Okay, it's also called Savage Killers. It just depends on your translation. Okay. And they 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 cut that and put Steve Odekirk in. Yes, they put Steve Odekirk in, t- in the place of what's his Jimmy Wang Yu of Jimmy Wang Yu. And interestingly, Jimmy Wang Yu was also the director and main actor in the original movie and huh. steve odekirk wrote directed produced and starred in this i'll be darned whatever that's worth not much not much speaking but of worth something. speaking of worth of little worth of little worth so here, here's another crazy thing so this movie as we've explained probably not super well you'd kind of have to watch it to understand uh if you saw what the title like animation looks like right you'd know right off the bat it sounds like a fever dream one of us had Yes. Like a bad guy named Betty, you know, these long iron claw uh, things, French aliens. Like, it really sounds like someone was hopped up on drugs and had a dream yeah. and then put it down to paper. At one point, uh, the Chosen One is fighting a bunch of bad guys in a field. Mm-hmm. And so he, uh, part of his backstory is that he was raised by various desert creatures. Yes. <laughs> rodents. Uh, and so he's fighting a bunch of bad guys in a field. And three of them approach with nunchucks, and he leans down to the ground and digs a little hole and says, I need gopher chucks. And so he has two gophers on they just, thread. Yeah, they bite a piece of his shirt. Uh-huh. And that's that. So but that's the summary of the film. And, and we're kind of getting into the buzz with all these little extras and bonuses. But basically, it's just the story of the Chosen One learning how to fight the bad guy with the strange, weird twist that the bad guy works for the Council of Evil or the Evil Council... Which are French aliens. Yep. So, at one point he fights a cow, which is he like the, min- the mini-boss to the real boss. I guess he's like boss number C, or letter C, number C. What am I saying? Because the cow, you gotta fight the cow to get to Betty, but then you gotta fight Betty to get to the French aliens. Yes. So, he's like he's like a C-level boss. Yes. An intro boss, if you will. So, these things all happen. Uh-huh. This is a real movie. We're not kidding. It's uh, here's what I love about the B movie podcast, Luke. So many times we say the plot to the film, and I have to make a disclaimer that goes: it sounds like we're making it up, but we couldn't write this stuff. <laughs> I am not gifted enough to write. No, this. not at all. So that's the summary. Please watch the film for yourself. But I want to talk about the buzz. So, Luke, I want to ask a question. Okay. So some people have written into the podcast, and they've also stopped me. Um, who you know? They know I do the podcast. They listen to the podcast, and they've asked me a very pointed question. They say, Jeremiah, what is your definition of a B movie? Hmm. Now, I think that's a great question because the B movie podcast, we obviously watch bad movies, but is it just a B movie? Because the traditional explanation of a B movie is that it was a movie that the studio didn't really care about that had a lot of first timers on. And if you were a first-timer, you had to do a B-movie before you could do, like, an A-list movie. And so these are independent films. These are films that really the studios didn't care about at the time. These are films that are highly and largely forgotten. However, I take a B-movie to mean anything that is super awful, that might have had a large budget or not, um, but was done either ironically or unironically, that just put forth a flaming pile of poo-poo, okay? And sometimes, sometimes, when you've got a flaming bag of crap, most of the time, you realize this isn't worth it. And even if I stomp it out, I've got crap on my shoes. But sometimes you find just the right doorstop to drop it off on. And that flaming bag of crap becomes a perfect unsightly gift from the heavens Mm. right luke yes so i think a b movie can be something that is a spoof something that is underfunded something that someone was trying really hard with that didn't do so well it could be an a-list movie with a star-studded cast like new year's eve uh or the b movie or the b movie that ends up just kind of flopping in the box office and ends up being forgotten or becoming a cult classic so I, that's my opinion of the B movie, um, or what B movies are. Luke, do you have anything to say to that? I I just want to also express that every B movie has to have its it factor, mm-hmm. and I don't know what that's going to shake out as. So take take Kung Pao for example. When I was in high school, my friend group watched this often, very often, because it just kind of had that that meme potential, uh, that rewatchability. 
That, the quotes. The quotes. Just the, the fun that you can have by exposing somebody to it who has no idea what they're getting into. I feel like that counts as an it factor. Also, right. shout out to uh, Aaron Booth for introducing me to this movie because we couldn't have gotten here Aaron without you. Aaron Booth introduced you to this movie? Absolutely. That's funny. Aaron, <laughs> if you are listening, kudos to you, man. Kudos to you. Yeah. So that's that's how I would call a, a B movie. Yeah. You know, what What are some things that you would point out about this movie that, that does it well, that does it ironically well, in a spoof manner? Well, some fun facts, things we didn't know. What are just some things that you would classify uh, as part of the buzz? So some basic characteristics. One of the things this movie does kind of well uh, is it, it's sort of like the uh, the hot rod treatment, right? Where you make the same joke like four times and maybe it was fun or let me rephrase that this does happen in hot rod but probably what's better is sort of how in family guy they'll make the same joke like 15 Mm -hmm. times and maybe like the 14th time you start laughing or (laughs) you're just about to change the channel when they switch it back yes yes it it gets you just long enough Mm -hmm. so this uh like the knee where he hits his knee and he goes ah ah yeah just like that Ah, just like that. And you're you're about to reach <laughs> the remote when they're like, "All right, now we're moving on." Yeah, yeah that so kind of comment. It, it does that a lot it, with the the baby falling down the hill, the zooms during the the fight in the field mm-hmm. where it just zooms in and out and plays the same audio bite. The scene where the chosen one is running to save Ling and he's running, and then it cuts back to her and she says, "Chosen one," and it cuts back to him and says, "I'm coming," and it does that like four times, and then he ends up in a tiny net. Yeah, he's like farther away and then closer and farther <laughs> away, and then yeah, in a little just... net. It's just, it's very weird. So it does that pretty well. It definitely has the quote and meme capacity. Oh man, uh, my we goodness, we could go on and on. I've got some actually quotes written down if you don't mind. By all means. So some of my favorite quotes are: "There's a group of individuals practicing their moves, you know, their their basics." And they are saying, our sexual preferences are our own business. <laughs> you know, like with each move, they're enunciating a different word. I thought that was super weird. Another good quote is, uh, I think it's Ling, who says, I loved my father, and now he's dead. Quack. <laughs> like, she makes a quacking sound. Yeah, she, Which is super stupid. The love interest does all these weird noises. Right. She often vocalizes as... Which means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Another good one is this. I thought this was hilarious because they're using the footage from this movie back in the day. And two men exit the dojo area into the courtyard. And they say they're not speaking. Their mouths are closed. But you hear them say, we are ventriloquists. We are ventriloquists. (laughs) Uh, and it's just so funny because obviously there's not words coming out of their mouth, but they, they decided, hey, we could get some dialogue in there if they're ventriloquists. There's, uh, what is it he says, you go that way, I'll go home. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're going to find the chosen one mm-hmm. and fight him and they go, you go that way, I'll go home. I'll go home, right. <laughs> I, just so stupid. <clears throat> uh, when Master uh, Tang is injured, he goes, I have to tell you something. I really like the band NSYNC. My favorite member is Harpo. I think there's a Harpo. If not, there should be. (laughs) (laughs) This is so dumb. This is so dumb. Uh, I I just... These lines are so stupid. It reminds me a lot of Dumb and Dumber. When uh, you've got lines that are so fun to quote, but are just so dumb within the context of the film. Like when uh, Jim Carrey exits the 7-Eleven with a soda... And there's two extras standing there. Did you know about this? Yes, I love this. Yeah, and there's two extras standing there. And the extras were told, you cannot talk to the stars during takes. Like, you just cannot talk to them. So don't talk to them. Don't say anything, even if they say something to you. So Jim Carrey exits the 7-Eleven and goes, big gulps, eh? And he just sit, and they're like, they just nod. And then he goes... Well, see ya. <laughs> it's so, it's so, and there's so many gags like that in this film. So it definitely has the, the quotability, the meme ability, the stupidity. But what are some other things that sets this film apart? Yeah, so there's some stuff we got to get to here. I, I want to start with the budget. Uh, okay. I think this is a good baseline to lay, and then I've got a lot that we got to work through here. So uh, we'll start with the budget. So it costs $10 million to produce. Mm. 
Which, again, if you were to watch it, you would wonder where the money went, but such is life. Well, it's all green screen, blue screen effects. Because they had to cut people into the That's film. That's true. It's now, a lot of that. what's really funny here, Luke? Santa Claus Conquers the Martians had a $200,000 budget, which was like $2.6-something million dollars in the time of the B-movie. And Kung Pao had what? $10 million. $10 million. It was distributed by 20th Century Fox. Like, it's a, it was a real movie. <laughs> Yeah, this was in theaters. And uh, at the box office, believe it or not, it actually grossed $17 million. Which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, if you are an individual listening to the B-Movie podcast that saw Kung Pao Enter the Fist in theaters, please write in. Yes, Because please. I want to know what your theater experience was when it comes to this film. But what are some other facts and statistics here? So some other interesting things. Uh, if you have the DVD, one of the special features is... Uh, an alternate audio track called What Are They Really Saying? So since they're dubbing over an old kung fu movie, obviously they weren't speaking English, so the, the voices that are in English do not line up with the mouths at all. So the scenes that Steve Odekirk is in, he also is not speaking English. Or he right. is speaking English, but he's not speaking the words that are actually coming out of his mouth. So there's a different audio track where you can hear the nonsense that he's actually saying. Uh, and he actually did say <laughs> nonsense words. Like, what's, what's an example of this? Uh... One of them says, I think he says like, but Betty is uh, Betty is too powerful for me. And the uh, the actual words that he spoke are, but trouble is a family's game. <laughs> so it's, it, yeah, it's just dumb stuff like that. It doesn't really make any sense. There's also... An My off- cereal was on fire from the serpent lizard. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it's just like this kind of stuff that they're dubbing over. Yeah, but there's a whole audio track of the whole movie of him doing that. There's also another entire audio track called Book on Tape. Where what? all the lines are read by no. a, a calm British narrator. That is the truth. That is a special feature. I want to see that special feature. Maybe we'll do a special uh, B-Movie podcast yes. episode on that special yes. feature. There's also an alternate ending featuring Betty in a Speedo. Oh? Yes, that happened. Wow. Uh, and there's a tonguey tribute fe- featurette. Uh, not that that matters. Jeremiah, did you know that Kung Pao Enter the Fist was nominated for two awards and won one? Was it a golden raspberry? Uh, almost. It was the 2002 Stinker's Bad Movie Awards. Wow. It was nominated for Worst Picture, and it was nominated for and tied for win for Most Painfully Unfunny Comedy. Now, so here's the thing, though. In my mind, I think when Kung Pao was nominated for those two awards, they were probably ecstatic. Oh, they had to be. Ecstatic. It, yes, yes, because yeah. this movie was not made to win. No. <laughs> yeah. It was purposely made to be bad. It was ironic in the sense. And it's absolutely a cult classic now. Oh, it is. It is. There were so many people who requested this film. Uh, Brian, Brian, if you're listening, and I know that you are, uh, this film not only goes out to my cousin Mike, but it also goes out to Brian. Brian P., uh, who lives uh, in the great state of Indiana. Brian, we did this one just for you. Uh, So thank you for recommending that to the Boomer Podcast. Additionally... Why? This is the dumbest thing ever. No, like, I've wasted time here. I could have done so many other things with my life, and I watched this movie. Also, just in case you're wondering, the movie that it tied with for most painfully unfunny comedy was Master of Disguise. So there's that. No! Yeah. Okay, so speaking of which, we have got to do an episode on Master of Disguise, All because right. that movie was one of my favorites growing up Me as too. a kid. Me too. I didn't know it was bad. Oh, it was so, it was so good, though, <laughs> because Dana Carvey was like... I'm sort of good at impressions. Here's a movie of me doing impressions. <laughs> it's, it's in the same category as this one in the sense that it's just a big YouTube video. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and that's something I want to talk about here for a minute. Back in the day, when YouTube first started, uh, there was kind of, I wouldn't say a movement, but there was a, a clear feeling of individuals who were uploading content to YouTube. And there were some individuals who were just doing stupid movies or stupid uh, bits and doing really well because they made people laugh. And it feels like someone took a bunch of bits about kung fu movies and a bunch of bits about bad kung fu movies and put them all into one film. And it really does have YouTube energy. Like, it has the creativity that I see in people like Bill Wirtz. You know Bill Wirtz? Mm-hmm. What does he do? History of the world? Yeah, history of the world, history of Japan. History of Japan. He has many songs. Uh, I did a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, la di da di da di da deo. 
la di da di da di all the good times go. Oh, la di da di da di dum dum da dwee. That's okay. Um, it's just Bill. I, yeah, it has Bill Wirt's energy. Like it's so weird and funny, and yet also not trying too hard, but then trying way too hard. It's weird, man. I don't even know how. Like the best way to say it is just to say it has YouTube energy, and I will say early YouTube energy. Early YouTube energy. Yeah, right. We're talking about when YouTube first hit and it started to get popular. We're talking like. Annoying orange on the front page. Right, exactly. <laughs> that kind of thing. We're not talking Jimmy Fallon always having spot number three on trending. <clears throat> We're talking about someone who was arguably on some kind of mind-altering substance who said, you know what would be super funny? If puzzles had love interest with other puzzles that the pieces didn't fit together. Like, that kind of thing. Like, just so weird. It'd be like, what about the life of bees or the life of pillows? What if we did a whole segment on empty glass bottles? Or how about the microwave and all the people who push the buttons too hard, right? Like, it, nobody sits there in their basement and goes, this is a great idea. Let's do this. Except for those early YouTubers and apparently... Steve Odekirk. Yes. Uh, and the makers of Kung Pao. Yes. So speaking of Steve Odekirk, boy, do I have a lot to tell you about him. Uh, shoot, fire away. Okay. So Steve Odekirk, first of all, he is best known for his deep friendship with none other than Jim Carrey. Really? Yeah. He and Jim Carrey are like tight. And wow. there's a couple different reasons for why. He's also really good friends with Tom Shadiak, who was a director. He did a lot of different stuff, but most notably the Ace Ventura franchise. Really? Yeah. So here's wow. here's the thing with this. I'm gonna I'm gonna read a lot of these different things. Keep in mind how close how close Steve Odekirk was to greatness. How close? Right. <laughs> and he touched he touches you know uh, uh, he's close. He, he says he's he's got this cult classic. Yes. Anyway. First things first, Steve Odekirk went to Matter Day High School. The only reason that matters is because Matter Day famously puts out a ridiculous number of professional athletes. Hmm. Like, seriously, like Matt Barkley, um, 2004 Heisman winner, uh, Matt Lenart, Chris Jackson, who played in the NFL, Stanley Johnson's currently NBA. If you look up Matter Day High School, I mean, it's a, it's a crazy number of professional athletes. And also Steve Odekirk. You're right. <laughs> he's, he's on the notable alumni list. Where Where is Matter Day located? Matter Day is in Santa Ana, California. Okay. So he was a California person. Yes. Which, I, is that close to Hollywood? Do you know? I don't know. I'd imagine it would have some relation to Hollywood. Like, maybe, is it Southern California, Northern California? Do we know? Because what Hollywood's in Southern California, right? Or or Central California? I don't know. It's oh. a big state. It's like all the people who live in Illinois who are constantly subjected to people who go, "Oh, is that near Chicago?" You know, mm -hmm. when people are from out of state don't know where like Central Illinois or uh, towns are or Southern Illinois towns yeah. are, and they always go, "Now, how near Chicago is that?" Yeah, Santa Ana, Southern California. It's uh, a little bit north of San Diego. Okay. So, like, obviously a, a creative area of the world. Yes. You know, associated with film, associated with sports. Apparently. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So Steve Odekirk, he got going with NBC, ABC, UPN, and Fox. So he did a whole bunch of different stuff early on. He got plugged in with Fox in the late 80s, and it was during that time that he, in the early 90s, it was during that time that he started to get close with Jim Carrey because they both worked on In Living Color together. Really? Yeah, Steve Odekirk was on In Living Color, huh. and he did all kinds of different stuff with him. He uh, Now, as an actor, he, this isn't as a director or producer. He did it? some writing. Oh, some so writing. He did some okay. writing and, and some acting. All right. His first film slash directorial star was with Smart Alex in 1987, which is nothing to write home I've about. I've never heard of it. Yeah. He starred with Jim Carrey in Death, which I've never heard of this movie. Death? Yes, I've never heard of this movie. What's the plot? I don't know. Hold on, let me... <laughs> so the link just takes me to the definition of the word death. Oh. So, so but it is a film. Uh, I smell a future B-movie podcast episode. Yes, here. yes. So here's where it gets kind of interesting. So Steve Odekirk was the project consultant with Jim Carrey for Ace Ventura Pet Detective 1994. Is that the first one? Yeah, the first one. Wow. Yeah, and so it was, it was super popular, of course. And Steve Odekirk was given the chance to write and direct When Nature Calls. Yes. Did so, he take it? Yes. So he, so Steve Odekirk and Shadyac, I don't know who, Tom Shadyac. So this article says that there's some weird, there was some really shady stuff with Steve Odekirk not getting writing credits. 
in a bunch of different stuff that he worked on. So Tim Shadiak and Steve Odekirk worked together on When Nature Calls. Huh. And Steve Odekirk apparently did the brunt of it. And obviously it did super well. It was it actually grossed right. more than the first film. Uh, following that, Steve Odekirk co-wrote The Nutty Professor. which he With also, Eddie Murphy? Yes, which he also did with Tim Shadiak, Tom Shadiak. Uh, and then he wrote and directed Nothing to Lose, starring Tim Robbins and Martin Lawrence. No. I see one more here. <laughs> Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius. So that's the big one. He wrote And Patch Adams? He wrote the screenplays for Patch Adams, Nutty Professor 2, Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, Kung Pao, Bruce Almighty, and Barnyard. No. Yeah. This guy's a legend. Yeah, so he did all these things. So Kung Pao Enter the Fist is this weird, like, crazy stain on his resume because he's done all no, these. No, 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 no. It is not a stain. <laughs> it is an accentuating sticker. That says, see here, boys. <laughs> no one's invincible. <laughs> yeah, so, th so that happened. Um, I really think this was a pet project. I think this was just something that Steve Odekirk wanted to some do. Some joke. Yeah, right? And like he would constantly do these bits with friends. I really do believe that this is something that was probably the brainchild of some sort of hanging out with friends in a basement, just kind of shooting the breeze, well, you know, chewing yeah. the fat, and you're going, oh, you know what would be really funny? A stupid kung fu movie. You know how it got started? How? He wanted to do a film, like a, a web series, mm -hmm. where they would make fun of poorly dubbed anime. Okay. And then they actually brought the idea up to 20th Century Fox and they said instead of a series why don't you make it a movie no and why don't you do a live action kung fu show that's funny and so that's what they did and so th that's how that shook out he also that's so weird it's it's super weird he also did the writing and some voice work and the, the direction and the production for the movie Barnyard which I mentioned earlier and then the subsequent film Back at the Barnyard and then the 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 series they did like a cartoon series that only had a few episodes oh yeah on nickelodeon yeah on nickelodeon yeah. so he did that as well and then he also did something called thumbmation shorts which i've never heard of or seen he did several thumbmation films there was thumb wars bat thumb the god thumb franken thumb the blair thumb and thumb tannic i have no idea what they are you know what i've vaguely heard of this that really? it's the entirety of those films done with thumbs that like the sure. thumbs are the actors that's fine so, like, they put googly eyes and a face on a thumb, and so instead... No. Yeah, I'm dead it's called, serious. No, no, no. It's, so, Thumb Wars, the, mm -hmm. the full title is called Thumb Wars, The Phantom Cuticle. Yeah. In 1999. Okay, so you're dead right. And it's done It's done basically what Star Wars was, right? <laughs> and <they've> yeah. Got, <laughs> they've got different names for the characters. It could very well be, again, future uh, podcast oh episode goodness. of the b podcast. Because I, I here's the thing I get about Steve Odekirk. I think he's a really eccentric, funny guy. Yes. But I don't think that his comedy is as appreciated as other com comedians of our day and age. Sure. Because I, I honestly like things like this thing and some of the writing work he's done yeah. has been some big name things. But Absolutely. I, again, I don't know what the deal is with him not getting these kinds of writing credits. I'm not sure why that happened, but I'm not either. Apparently, like he knows his stuff and he knows what's good, but he also knows how to do something that's campy. That's silly, that's stupid, uh, and also funny all at the same time. Yeah. So here's one last thing that I wanted to say about the film that is just the cherry on top as far as the confusing, mangled mess that it is. And it really is a confusing, mangled mess. Yeah, so so the guy who was in charge of the sound, all the music, all the sound mixing, the, the production, all of that, his name is Robert Folk. Robert Folk graduated from Juilliard. Oh. He has a doctorate degree. He did all the audio for... Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. All right, it's not a contest. Nothing to Lose. Tremors, The NeverEnding Story 2. Tremors. Toy Soldiers, Police Academy, Boat Trip, Back in the Day, American Pie Band Camp, Van Wilder 2, Vivaldi, and Kung Pao. Additionally, he's worked with uh, actors such as uh, Dan Petrie, George Gallo, and Gary Sinise. Hmm. Uh, he also has composed and conducted numerous concert works, including symphonic, vocal, and chamber music. So he wrote a ballet called To Dream of Roses that was performed by the London Symphony Orchestra. He has conducted uh, orchestras including the London Symphony Orchestra, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, the Berlin Radio Orchestra, the Munich Symphony, the Dublin Symphony, all these incredible orchestras. And this guy is the guy that did the music on... Kung Pao. Kung Pao. End of the Fist. Yeah, and he also, he won a ASCAP... So weird. He won a... 
uh, ASCAP Film and Television Music. I'm sorry, Award. what was that? An uh, ASCAP. An ASCAP. Yeah. An ASCAP. An ASCAP. An ASCAP. ASCAP. Film and Television Music Awards. <laughs> he won top box office film for Ace Ventura: When Nature Calls. So there is some certainly some money and yeah. some talent that was poured into this film. Clearly. One last thing. Apparently, a lot of these shots were. A lot of the scenes from the movie were filmed just like around Steve Odekirk's house. So the scene where he looks up into the sky and sees Moose Rufasa, that scene was shot in his backyard and they used a lamp and a blow dryer. Wow. I'm for, for lighting and for the wind. Wow. Yeah. And then there's a scene where they fight Betty in a waterfall and they lose. And so the chosen one and then Ling, his love interest, her father shows up to talk him out of fighting and to, to kind of save him and, and get him out mm-hmm. of there. And so there's a scene where they both are shown, like, washing down a waterfall. That was shot in his swimming pool in his backyard. That's so funny. Which is just ridiculous. So this just goes to further my point that I was about to make. In that, I really think that this is a film that is completely self-aware, but is also funny. I really do think it's funny. I mean, Luke, how many times did I outright just have a chuckle, a big, full-hearted laugh at these bits that they were doing? I mean, no exaggeration, probably like seven or eight. At least, at least. It's an an 89-minute film. It really is funny, yeah. It's an 89-minute film, so which is what, an hour and what, 20 minutes? Yeah, something like that. An hour and 29 minutes, you know. Yeah, yeah, Um, close. So an hour and a half. If that. Call it an hour and a half. Hour and a half, full film. And truth be told, it really is funny. It's also really weird. But clearly, there's a lot of talent that went into this. There's a lot of heart that went into this. And at the end of the day, I look at this film and go... Why was this made? And you know what I think the answer is? Is because it could be. <laughs> is because Steve Odekirk probably said, you know what? I really enjoy this this section of film, of TV, you know, the um the kung fu part, the kung fu, the fighting, the the badly dubbed Asian films, all the tropes that come with them. And he says, you know what? I could make that. And so he basically YouTubes his way with $10 million to make Kung Pao enter the fist. So that's what I'll have to say about The Buzz. Luke, any other things about The Buzz before we move on to grading? I think it's a good movie. I think you know it's, it's a good, bad movie. I think I would I would agree with you. It is it is a weirdly good, bad movie. Uh, for what it's worth, for all it's worth, it's just, it's enjoyable. Yes, it, it's a movie, I keep calling it a dumpster fire and, and garbage and all these things, but you know that on the B-Movie podcast, those are terms of endearment. But let's be real. If you were walking by a dumpster and it was completely on fire with smoke billowing out. Would you not stand there and watch it? Absolutely. Would, would that not be like That's capturing? A fair, That's a fair point. I really think it would be. Or if there was like, I imagine this is some like poor ice skater who really can't get their feet and who keep falling down. So you just kind of watch them fall and lay there for a solid three minutes. That's the kind of that's the kind of thing I get out of kind of what, what if that ice skater had a tongue with a mouth on it? Yes. Yeah. I'm so sold. That, yeah, I'm in. I'm, I'm in. in. I'm in. So uh, the other thing to know about this movie is that as you as you watch it, if you decide to watch it, which I do highly recommend that you do, as you watch it, you'll notice a lot of subtleties that are reminiscent of higher success films. So right. Like dumb little jokes. Or... I did get a lot of a lot of moments that evoked thoughts of like Bruce Lee hmm. um, and other films of that nature <clears throat> um, that were really well done uh, kung fu movies that this was kind of giving a tip of the hat to in its own funny, stupid way. Yes. Yes. So, but that's all I have to add. So now let's move on to the grading section. <clears throat> so for those of you who listen to the Movie Podcast, you know we have uh, three grades that are possible. A B plus, which means this is so bad that it's good. It is one that we'd recommend to our friends and would potentially watch over and over again. A B, which means it's meh. I mean, it wasn't a complete waste of time, but we probably won't be watching it again anytime soon. And a B minus or a BM, which means it was so bad I had to stop myself from gouging my eyes out with a dull spoon. It's a big stinky pile of poo-poo and I will not be revisiting it anytime soon. So with that being the grading system, Luke, what would you place Kung Pao Enter the Fist as? Okay, I'm a little biased because, like I mentioned, I've been watching this for a while, but I have to give it a B plus. I mean, the the rewatchability is through the roof. The uh, I mentioned earlier the the meme potential, the quotes, all the nonsense that comes with it. I mean, I I've never watched it and not had fun. I will agree. I think that this is a B plus. However, I think it is 
just north of a B. Mm. Like, I don't think it's a super awesome B+, but I think it's still a B+. I would probably watch it again with other friends. I would still laugh at the jokes, but at the same time, it's not as good of as a film as other B-pluses that I've had in the past. Does that make sense? Yeah, fair enough. Like, so I, I really did enjoy it. I thought it was very clever. Yeah. I think Steve Odekirk did a lot of funny bits and themes uh, with the movie. I, you know, I'd watch it again, but I don't think it's my favorite movie of all time. I just think it's an enjoyable. So with the grading being out of the way, we have to answer the absolutely needless question. Is it better or worse than the B movie? And to sum this up in one simple word, to answer this question with one simple word, is this better or worse than the B movie? I would say yes. It is simultaneously Schrodinger's B movie. It is both better and at the same time worse than all other B movies in existence. Wow. Yeah. That's high and very low praise. Exactly. That's my <laughs> point. It's Schrodinger's B movie. I think that if you were to watch the film, listener, uh, I think you would understand the point that we're trying to make here. Right. Because it, it's difficult to explain because it really it's self-aware enough that mm. it is better than typical B-movies, but it still just barely misses it. Yeah, it 100% threads the needle. Yes. Because at the you know, you're watching this film and you're going, oh, it's kung fu until the French aliens show up. <laughs> And then you're like, I guess it's not. <laughs> Wait, you didn't think the uh, the cow tipped you off? Right, yeah. Or the t- or tonguey. <laughs> or tonguey. A sentient tongue. Or there's a scene. You were look. You were taking notes at this point. I didn't say anything because I didn't want to interrupt the next scene. But there's a scene where it's panning away. It's when they challenge. It's when uh, mm-hmm. when Wimpley challenges the chosen one. Oh. So it looks at. The, it's looking at the temple and there's no one there and it pans out to Wimpley and the chosen one standing out. Uh, in the yard about to do something and as it's panning out there's like a small weirdly animated green alien that just <laughs> runs into the distance never explained never explained has, i'm so sad i missed it that. has nothing to do with the film i, I don't have to go back and watch that yeah now. you'll you'll it'll be worth it That's hey but funny. speaking of a, a perfect balance and uh, being just right on the edge between good and bad jeremiah what what was the uh the audience score for the b movie on rotten tomatoes oh uh, the b movie on rotten tomatoes has an exactly perfect 50 percent critics rating yes which means that half of critics thought it was good and half of critics thought it was bad now this is only rivaled by their audience score which happens to be a 53 percent so okay really overall our gold standard for b movies for bad movies our gold standard of the b movie is really just kind of a coin toss yes and so that really kind of sets the tone you know for the podcast because it was this big budget film. It was this star study cast, but it also did not do well. But then it ended up as a cult classic, especially for those folks on Tumblr. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen a Tumblr post which says, So I've got a hot key on my keyboard that is the entire B movie script. And sometimes I accidentally comment it when I'm not paying attention. And I'm like, Come on now. I'm like, that's silly. But the B-movie kind of threads that needle and has a 50% critics rating. Uh, Luke, what kind of critics rating does Kung Pao Enter the Fist have? Kung Pao Enter the Fist has a 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. Which uh, is extremely low when yes. it comes to a critics rating. Yes, from the critics rating. And one of the ways that I really like to gauge a B-movie, or at least a good B-movie, is the disparity between the critics and the audience score. Now, I know mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily apply to the B-movie. Right. Um, because but, there's only a 3% disparity. Right. There's only a 3% difference, and that's mm-hmm. part of what makes it, I think, so weirdly balanced. But for me, whenever I'm gauging a B-movie, I like to look at that difference. And so for this one, I mean, I, I don't think it gets any better. So, Jeremiah, what's the uh, audience score for Kung Pao on Rotten Tomatoes? It is the perfect number of 69%. Nice! <laughs> A perfect 69% on Rotten Tomatoes when it comes to an audience score. So you see, obviously everyone loves it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't say everyone. <laughs> Clearly there's a... Obviously 69% there is of people a, love it. There's a 31% <laughs> population who yes, does not love yes. it. But there's a there's that great big gap between the critical reception and the audience reception, which I think is a, a great indicator of a cult classic. And I'll be real honest, I'm I'm not sure that any other B movie that we've done so far has such high of a disparity between critics rating and really? audience score. Really? I really don't think so because some of them are just really bad. 
Sure. And some of them are just really good. And the, the critics rating and the audience score kind of follows that. But this one is a, I mean, 13% and 69%. We're talking about a 56% disparity yeah. between what the critics say and what the audience say. Well, and the best part is that I can't argue with either of them. No, exactly. <laughs> like, I can't disagree either way. Right. So at the end of the day, we ask, is it better or worse than the B-movie? And the answer, I think, just has to be yes. Now, Luke, if you said to me, it's Saturday night, we're going to watch a movie with all of our friends. We can either watch Kung Pao or the B-movie. What movie are you going to choose? I'm going to reach for Kung Pao every single time. Okay. I'm probably going to reach for the B-movie. Mm. Now, I think probably 30% of the time, I might reach for Kung Pao. Fair enough. But, but you know... 70% of the time, I think I'm going to reach for the B-movie. Because it just, it appeals to a wider audience because it has so many plot points and morals and ideas that appeal to so many different people. Like, you really have to be in the mood for a Kung Fu movie to genuinely appreciate Kung Pao. Would you agree with that statement? So the short answer is no, because I don't think I can, in good conscience, call this a, a Kung Fu movie. I don't I just, know. I'm just not there, man. But, I don't know, man. But the, uh, if you're in the mood for something that you can sort of watch and still have a good time right. and, and, and be sort of confused, but mm -hmm. uh, but if you do watch the whole thing, I mean, you're going to have fun with it. But yeah. if you zone in and out, you're still going to have fun with it. Uh, you know, I'm reaching for Kung Pao, but uh -huh. I, uh, I think it's... Well, we've talked about why I think it's a special movie, but I, I think that it's a, a fun one for a group, maybe not so much fun alone. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I would say that I think it has rewatchability because you watch it and you go, oh, I missed that joke sure. the first time. Yeah. Or, oh, I missed that line the first time. Or right. I missed that scene the first time. Lots of subtleties. Lots of subtleties. So at the end of the day, I, you know, I think it's a good movie. I think it's funny. I think it, it really does what it's trying to do well. Yeah. But I, I think I'm going to go with the B movie over this one. I think, you know, at baseline, the B movie is going to be more appealing to a wider audience than Kung Pao is. I think that's probably fair. It yeah. probably is going to appeal to a wider audience. Right. So... Um, yeah, so Luke, thanks so much for coming on the show. Do you have any last thoughts, anything you want to plug, anything you want to say before we leave? I do. And what would that be? As a closing thought, and as a very abrupt break from the, the goofy and jovial nature of, uh, of this podcast, I would like to observe uh, eight seconds of silence for the late, great Kobe Bryant. Oh. Uh, I, for one, am a huge NBA fan. I know right. this has nothing to do with the B-Movie podcast. It's just something that has happened recently. And, man, I've had a lot of conversations with mm -hmm. people who they uh, are all saying pretty much the same thing, where they're like, man, I didn't know this guy, but holy cow, I feel this like intense right. sense of loss over a guy I'd, I'd never met. I, you know, I maybe even didn't follow super closely in his career. So mm -hmm. I... Uh, I just wanted to observe eight seconds of silence. Well, before before, before we do an eight seconds of silence for Kobe, um, I will say, uh, if you're not aware, Kobe Bryant, his daughter as yeah. well, it, and he, four others. Five others? The the death toll is up to nine total. Nine uh, total. So, okay. yeah, so Kobe, his daughter, Gianna. And then seven others yes. uh, lost their lives in a horrible, awful helicopter crash. Uh, it was completely unexpected. Yes. Um, it, it was a tragedy. And I will say that, you know, really any loss of human life, I think, can be considered a tragedy, whether that be uh, within wars, whether that be within disagreements with countries, whether that be within um, accidents such as helicopter crashes or plane crashes or even, you know, car accidents, bus accidents. Um, but really, it is kind of more pronounced when it is a celebrity or it is a someone who has the public eye. Sure. Um, because, you know, truth be told, I don't know the name of the pilot. And I, I kind of feel bad about that. Yeah. At the same time, like, I'm sure that the family of the pilot and these other individuals are just as in much mourning, um, quite possibly, you know, even more than we are from losing such a beloved athlete and, sure. and role model uh, and mentor. So, I, you know, let's make it a, a good 10 seconds of silence okay. uh, for Kobe Bryant and the other individuals who lost their lives in this helicopter crash. Uh, here recently. So, B-Movie Podcast, we're going to have 10 seconds of silence starting now. Well, Luke, I appreciate uh, that kind of final thought. It is a little sobering, especially for a podcast that's designed to be so silly and jovial. 
Um, but I think it is important to notice life in the face of all these things that we're discussing, um, because life waits for no one. Uh, and truth be told, it kind of puts things in perspective. Like, you better know, um, you know, kind of what you believe, why you believe, and where to find that support, uh, because you never know. You never know when you're going to go. Uh, the only thing that is guaranteed in this life are death and taxes. Uh, and Benjamin Franklin has so aptly put that. Um, and truth be told, I think that's something that uh, is good to keep in mind with each and every day as we make our decisions, as we make our choices, as we talk to people, uh, with the films we watch even, mm. um, just to know that, you know, time is precious. And so let's spend it wisely. So hopefully you've enjoyed this episode of the Be Movie Podcast. Hopefully you will continue to listen in the future. You find that it is worth your time. Um, Luke, I so much appreciate uh, you being on the podcast again as the first returning co-host. Uh, and if you would like to interact with us on the Be Movie Podcast, you can do so in so many ways. First and foremost, we have our Facebook page, the B Movie Podcast. That's the letter B. On Twitter, we are the B Movie at the B Movie Pod. Again, the letter B. And on Instagram, we are at the B Movie Podcast. Again, we are going to be doing a giveaway for uh, when we hit 222 followers or subscribers. Uh, to each of those things, we'll be giving away an autographed copy of the B Movie. Uh, that will be done with a random raffle. So please go ahead, like, comment, subscribe, uh, leave a review, leave a rating for us. We would greatly appreciate that. Luke, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Anything else you'd like to say before we go? I think we're good to go. Thanks for having me back. You're so welcome. All right, uh, everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you tune in next week, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks. Bye-bye.